took it down! Now! Christmas. Welcome to Arnegeddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> and we're here for this episode to talk about 1996's Jingle All the Way. I can hear those sleigh bells ringing already. <laughs> but not the laughter. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> this was Arnold's other 1996 movie, uh, aside from Eraser. And we talked about Eraser a few weeks ago, and I think we had some, you know, positive, but maybe slightly mixed things to say about Eraser. So I think it's interesting to talk about this movie, because it, you know, both this and Eraser arrive at a very crucial point in Arnold's career, where he's like, coming off the highs of True Lies, not so much Junior, but he's kind of at that point where he's, you know, can he get bigger, or is he going to start to, you know, begin a downward trajectory, and, um... Or maybe this one. Like, like Santa's sleigh on Christmas Eve, <laughs> it was a little bit of a downward trajectory. <laughs> so, do you remember seeing this movie the first time back in the 90s? I did, actually. I uh, I don't think I saw it in the theater, but I... No one did. <laughs> but I did uh, see it on DVD or VHS or some <laughs> outdated format or other. <laughs> and um, I, did, I was not a big fan at the time. <laughs> Now, you would have been, what, 15? Um, 15 or 16 when you saw it? Yeah, I would have been about that. This is not a movie for 15 <laughs> or 16-year-olds. Well, did it feel a little bit like I'm too cool for this movie at this point in my life? Absolutely. And what about your love of Arnold? Did that do nothing to bridge the gap? I was at this point where I think at 15, 16, I was... Uh, maybe I still subconsciously had a love of Arnold, but I was maybe too cool for just about anything, as a lot of 15, 16-year-olds are. Right. Yeah, I also skipped this one in theaters. Uh, I just remember seeing a lot of bad reviews, and it looked so lame in the commercials that I was like, there's no way I'm going to watch this. But when it hit home video, a mutual friend of ours, uh, I hung out with him one night and we rented it just because it was an Arnold movie and it was one we hadn't seen. So we were like, well, you know, you got to do your due diligence and fill in the gaps in the Arnold filmography. Of course. And I just remember we watched it kind of just dumbfounded. And I don't even think we like got ironic laughs out of it. I think we were just kind of surly and annoyed for about 90 minutes. And then we just dropped it in the return slot and never thought about it ever again. Yeah, you just hoped that Sinbad would go on and do bigger and better things. Yeah, I expected better from him. You know, I was a big fan of that Sinbad sitcom. And I just wanted to see him blow up and take the world by storm. As Selma Hayek did. That was her <laughs> launching pad as well. <laughs> was she on Sinbad? Yeah, she was the Sinbad love interest. Was she really? <laughs> Wow, I had no idea. That's fascinating. Um, so, this movie, as I said, not a lot of people went out to see it. It cost $60 million. Which is hard to believe. <laughs> and it made $60.5 million. <laughs> well, if anything, the budget of this movie made me really appreciate how expensive it must be to throw a parade. <laughs> now, it was kind of saved by worldwide it brought in 69 million worldwide this is still you have to remember at an era where the studios didn't really care about worldwide that's not what they were invested in 
And so this movie was definitely considered a bit of a flop. And it was number 12 for Arnold's movies in his filmography, which is higher than I would really have thought, but there you have it. Now, we talked about 1996 when we did Eraser. If you want to hear more about the whole breakdown of that year, uh, listen to that episode. I think it was a really fun episode. Well, I'd like to hear a little bit more. <laughs> well, then I will give you a little more. So it was number 22 for the year in 1996. It landed right between two movies that are, I think, noteworthy. Uh, it was just under Beavis and Butthead to America, which is a movie that I loved the hell out of as a kid. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I remember really enjoying that one as well. I thought it was great. And it was just one spot ahead of The Cable Guy. So you had these two superstars of the film medium in these kind of oddball projects and both of them kind of tanking. Because Jim Carrey's The Cable Guy was considered like his bomb at the time. Was it considered a bomb or just an underperformer? Because I, I feel like any movie that pulls in, you know, 60 plus million is not a total no, bomb. No, no, you can take off the plus. <laughs> well, 60.9. Yeah, but you have to remember, like, Jim Carrey's movies up until then had been making, like, 150 million each. So when it brought in, like, 59 or whatever, 58, it was like, oh, that's not good. And it opened in the summer. It had a big, like, splashy summer release date. But the reason this movie is actually particularly interesting, that Jingle All the Way lands one spot ahead of the cable guy, is that in 2014, they would make a straight-to-video Jingle All the Way sequel... Starring... Larry the Cable Guy. Filmed in... Langley. <laughs> which is a suburb of Vancouver, where, of course, we record this podcast from. Uh, all the most expensive productions are done in Langley. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, let's put it this way. If Vancouver is known as Hollywood North, Langley is known as Langley. <laughs> That's fairly accurate. I mean, direct-to-video, they didn't have a lot of money to work with. But I thought it would be interesting because this year, 1996, it was not a year that was that interesting, really. You had, you know, your top five was Independence Day, Twister, Mission Impossible, Jerry Maguire, and Ransom. Um, but I thought it'd be more interesting, actually, to look at where Jingle All the Way placed in the history of Christmas movies <laughs> at the box office. You never cease to amaze me, Cam. Thank you. So this is the number 18th highest grossing Christmas movie. That's not so bad, is it? No. <laughs> it lands right between The Best Man Holiday and Scrooged. Really, I always imagine that Christmas movies are these really big profit centers, but it turns out that's not the case, <laughs> No, based on that list. Here are the top ten grossing Christmas movies of all time. You will notice that there is no like, real connection between quality and enduring classics and money. <laughs> this is our Christmas gift to you, listeners. Yeah. So the number one highest can I, grossing... Can I, can I guess? Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll just... Number one highest grossing Christmas movie. I'm gonna guess The Grinch. No. It's not. Number one is Home Alone. Ah, of course, Home Alone. <laughs> Number two is the live-action remake of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Okay. Which no one likes. <laughs> <laughs> Another Jim Carrey special. Number three is The Polar Express, which no one likes. <laughs> uh, the Sim Pals from <laughs> The Sixth Day might like The Polar Express. Have you seen that movie, The Polar Express? Yeah, it's very Uncanny Valley. It's a nightmare to watch. That was when Robert Zemeckis was experimenting with his like motion capture. Oh my god. So the fourth place, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Which no one likes. <laughs> I kind of like Home Alone 2. That one sucks, come on. That's better than Home Alone 3. That's, that's very true. The fifth place was Elf with Will Ferrell, which that is a 
definitely loved movie and I think has earned a place as one of the modern Christmas classics. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it is. And there's a little bit of overlap between Elf and... Oh, no, wait. <laughs> they, both have, they both have elves in them. Sixth place, you have The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. Not Christmas with the Cranks? Nope. Seventh place, you have The Santa Claus 2. Eighth place, you have Christmas Carol, the 2009 Robert Zemeckis motion capture version with Jim Carrey. Ninth place, you have Four Christmases with Vince Vaughn and Reese Witherspoon, which is terrible. <laughs> I've not seen it. And 10th place, which I think is a cheat. I don't really think this is a Christmas movie. Daddy's Home 2, starring Mark Wahlberg and Mel Gibson. So basically the moral of the story is we need to get Jim Carrey and Macaulay Culkin in a Robert Zemeckis film at Christmas time. Yes, and we're gonna knock it out. We're going to knock it out of the park. I just think it's fascinating that when people name off the all-time great Christmas movies, almost none of them are on that list. I think Elf might pop up, maybe Home Alone, but you're not hearing A Christmas Story or National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation or... You know, Santa Claus the movie with Dudley Moore. <laughs> <laughs> Miracle on 49th Street. <laughs> and now, before we dive into Jingle All the Way, we reference Jingle All the Way 2 being filmed in Langley. And I just want to read you the synopsis of what Jingle All the Way 2 is about, because this fascinated me. This is off the Wikipedia we're just, page. We're diving right into it this time, eh? <laughs> we are. So this is what Jingle All the Way 2 is apparently about. It was financed by the WWE... Are you, uh, are you serious? Yes, it was. And off Wikipedia, here is the synopsis of what this movie is about. The truck driver, Larry Phillips, competes with the current husband of his ex-wife, the wealthy businessman Victor, to find his daughter's favorite toy, Noel, 8, the bear-talking Harrison. However, Victor is determined to make it difficult for Larry not to get his hands on a Harrison bear. Larry will also have the help of Claude, his jumbled friend. I don't know what translator that was run through before it was put up on Wikipedia, but I, I guess it goes to show you that Wikipedia truly can be edited by anyone, and that the people who were involved with Jingle All the Way 2 weren't particularly interested in updating their Wikipedia page. No, but enough about the Larry the Cable Guy spinoff and Cable Guys in general. Are you sure? <laughs> Let's get to Jingle All the Way. Um, this is a fascinating movie for many ways. This is Arnold's, like, most wacky comedy, I think. And he made some pretty wacky comedies. I don't know. Is it wackier than, say, Last Action Hero? Yes. <laughs> last I action... think that last act of this movie indicates, yes, it is. <laughs> and we'll get to that in time, but... I guess so. This would be... I mean, I, I don't know if Last Action Hero counts as a comedy. This is Arnold's, what, fourth comedy? Um, yeah, Twins, about that, yeah. Jr., if you count Last Action Hero... And, um, or Kindergarten no, no. Cop. Kindergarten Cop, yeah. Uh, so fourth or fifth, uh, depending on what you count as a comedy and what you don't. Uh, it's also a probably... I find it interesting that Jim Belushi shows up in this movie again. Yeah, Red Heat Connection. <laughs> and I feel like a lot of Arnold's failures were <laughs> Jim Belushi <laughs> vehicles as well. Because that included... Last Action Hero, which was a notorious bomb, Red Heat, which no one remembers, and Jingle All the Way, which everyone hates. <laughs> Although, there might be a little bit of a reappraisal of Jingle All the Way, because I feel like more people mention this movie nowadays to me than really should have any business doing so. <laughs> but what was your experience? We were recording this episode the day after Halloween, so we're a little ahead of the schedule for don't, don't, covering Christmas. We're recording this episode on Christmas Eve. <laughs> 
That's right. We got a roasting fire. I mean, chestnuts, you know, yeah. they're crackling. You smell how that's turkey. <laughs> Go easy on the stuffing. Mm, another eggnog, please. <laughs> but what was your experience watching on this very Christmas Eve jingle all the way? You know what? It was better than I remembered, believe okay. it or not. You look incredulous. <laughs> I'm a little stunned. H- how so? Unlike some of the movies that we've watched, uh, where I had a very high regard for before rewatching them. Yes. <coughs> Twins. Sure. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Right? I was actually... There's a few times in this movie where I was actually laughing and I could actually appreciate it as a, as a family film. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> would you show your family this movie? <laughs> I would. It's okay. kind of a it's kind of a fun movie. Uh, don't get me wrong; it's not really what I normally go in for. But as a PG rated family film, I, it wasn't a total loss. I didn't think it kind of reminded me of. Do you remember the movie Spaced Invaders? In the yes, 80s? it was one of those movies that I think a lot of kids dragged their no, parents to. No one else remembers Spaced Invaders. I know it was a movie where like Martians or something. Hmm come to earth and it was like garbage but i remember taking my parents and i loved it it was like the greatest thing i'd ever seen but i look at trailers for it now and i go my poor parents i feel like that is jingle all the way in a nutshell like it's not good but i feel like a lot of kids would have dragged their parents to it and enjoyed it that's kind of the way i feel like it it's not like Although I, brutal to watch, although but it's not good. I think a lot of parents would have gone to see it because of Schwarzenegger. I think Schwarzenegger was probably a bit of a draw for a lot of well, reluctant dads out there. Sixty million dollars. <laughs> that's a lot of that's a lot of millions. That's a lot of sad dads sitting through this movie. I won't pick someone like Tim Allen, but would this movie have done as well if you were to replace Arnold with, you know, maybe not a Larry the Cable Guy or a Tim Allen, but right. wh- whatever it is that threads the needle in between there? Bruce Willis. I feel like he's kind of in the same boat as as okay. Arnold in this case. Jim Belushi? Sure. <laughs> if Jim Belushi had the title role in this film, yeah. how would it have done? Probably not good. Probably not good. But, yeah, like, I don't know. My experience watching it was, I don't know that this movie is that much worse than Twins. It's probably not. Like, it's shorter, and it's faster paced, which I think helps it. And that even when it's really terrible, and there's some points we're going to talk about later, which are really, 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 really terrible. But, like, the movie was so fast-paced and almost frantic that it kind of ended before I even realized it. And I was like, oh, okay, well, that was pretty painless. Like, it was kind of goofy, colorful, um, not very well written or anything. But you could see that, like, Arnold was invested more than he probably should have been. And he was definitely doing lots of broad comedy and lots of mugging for the camera and pratfalls and all that sort of stuff. Oh, man. If he had mugged any more for this camera, you would have drank coffee out of his face. <laughs> That's my fantasy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, it, I don't know. I can't say I really liked it or thought it was a good movie in any way, but I found it painless to sit through. I guess that's the best I can say. I mean, there was a couple points I laughed. Some of them I, unintentional. Some of them intentional. You know, I don't, I don't believe you, actually, because there was a few times where I looked over to you when we were watching this movie where yeah. I was I was laughing and I was looking over at you because it's always more fun to laugh along with sure. a friend. Sure, And you were looking at me like I was insane. <laughs> there are some parts that I genuinely thought were funny, and I'll talk about those in a bit. But I don't know, like, 
when you look at Christmas movies, and I think, you know, Christmas movies by and large are pretty terrible. I think there's a reason that people remember only a select handful as being kind of the milestones of Christmas movies. I think most are pretty awful. Do you think this was on par with the rest or maybe even a little better? I'd say it's pretty on par. It reminded me a lot. I mentioned it a bit earlier. If you haven't seen it, the Christmas with the Cranks. Yeah. It reminded me a little bit of that or style. Like Deck the Halls. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. The the kind of uh, almost like a made-for-TV movie right? with a bit of a higher budget. And, and like name actors. Exactly. Yeah, and maybe a little more of an expensive concept behind it. But this is definitely the kind of movie that you can see playing on cable around Christmas time. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm sure that that is how a lot of these Christmas movies catch on, it seems, because the box office, most of them don't do that well, at least a lot of the great ones. But it's just through getting aired over and over and over again on, like, the TNT or TBS networks around Christmas time that they gain these sort of traction. Like, I don't think Christmas Vacation was that big a hit, but it gains so much traction by just being aired on TV all the time. Same with The Christmas Story. So I'm sure that when you're making Jingle All the Way, your hope is that it will be like a perennial, you know, must-watch when it's on TV. And I think it is for a certain young generation now. I think they probably just saw it as kids a lot. Although it is interesting, because I feel like it is a movie that does still, to this day, play on TV around Christmas time. Yeah. I mean, you might as well air it. Why not? Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm sure the rights to it aren't super expensive. <laughs> How much do you think the rights are for the Larry the Cable Guy sequel? I think they actually pay you to air that. <laughs> it's on some, like, public broadcasting system in Tulsa. In Langley. <laughs> Langley. <laughs> they hold a tribute to it every year at the town hall. Yeah, they have to sacrifice a goat. <laughs> Classic Langley. <laughs> so this movie was directed by Brian Levant. Or Levant? I'm not quite sure. One or the other. Um, he a was, real, real heavy hitter. Yeah, he was just coming off a big movie... The Flintstones from 1994 with John Goodman, which was, I think, very much hyped to be the movie of 1994. It had trailers, I remember, on Jurassic Park the summer before, and it came out and got terrible reviews. I think it did really well still financially. It made but lots of money. It did I make remember. lots of money, but no one liked it. <laughs> Everyone thought it was pretty bad. But Brian Levant, I mean, I haven't looked too far into his career, but he, he strikes me as the kind of guy that has done... A lot of family-friendly, insipid comedies. Well, I'm glad you brought him up, Tony, because... Uh, well, you brought him up. <laughs> <laughs> he started, actually, as a writer-producer in sitcoms on shows like Bad News Bears, Happy Days, and Mork and Mindy. And then he sagged into motion pictures. And he did The Flintstones, which, hey, big debut. Um, then he followed it up with this movie, Jingle All the Way. And then he followed that up with Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas... A movie we've mentioned before on this podcast, weirdly <laughs> enough. Uh, then he did Snow Dogs with Cuba Gooding Jr. Are We There Yet with Ice Cube. Uh, the Spy Next Door with Jackie Chan. And then he was out of the theatrical movies. <laughs> and he did direct-to-video live-action sequels to the Scooby-Doo franchise. Ah. So like a really, really, really crappy CG Scooby-Doo at this point. And... Uh, that's all he's really been doing. He, I know he did a sequel to A Christmas Story, and he shot that, I think, maybe also in Langley. <laughs> he's currently attached to a Police Academy reboot. <laughs> I don't know if that'll ever happen, though. He's clearly no James Cameron. No. Uh, he's clearly no... Walter Hill. Not even a Walter Hill or John Milius. No. 
So, but he is Brian Levon. He's not, <laughs> not quite an Ivan Reitman either. Exactly. So he does pretty much family-friendly... Bad family-friendly Occasionally movies. Christmas movies and some television. And it kind of shows in this movie, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this definitely feels like a very flatly shot movie. Like, it doesn't feel like it was done by a director who really knew how to do effects or create impressive spectacle. He's kind of a point-and-shoot type guy. Is that the kind of vibe you felt, too? Yes, although I kind of felt like he had a big bag of money left at the end, and he used that to pull all of his film school tricks out and shoot the parade scene. <laughs> a lot went into that parade. It sure did. But before we get too far into it, yeah, uh, I mean, we've talked a little bit about uh, what we thought about the movie when we first saw it. We should mention now, we are going to be spoiling the movie. So so much to spoil. So much. <laughs> so if you're just picking this up, it's the Christmas season. Settle down with an eggnog. Watch this movie before so you can join us without us wrecking it all for you. And you'll know what we're talking about. Make sure to have some rum before you watch Jingle All The Way. Yeah, maybe <laughs> make it a double. <laughs> just tilt the bottle back and don't stop till the movie's over. And for those of you who don't want to watch this movie... <laughs> we don't blame you. ...or rewatch this movie, we especially don't blame you. Yeah. But, uh, Cam, what is this movie about? Well, this movie was inspired, actually, the producer, Chris Columbus, who directed Home Alone. Um, he was inspired to have this movie made... After he went hunting one Christmas season for a Buzz Lightyear toy and could not find one. And he thought, light bulb over his head. I have an idea for a major motion picture. Which is? Yes. It is a story of a father, a workaholic father, who sells mattresses. And he's working all the time. He can't focus on his family. But he finds out his son desperately wants a Turbo Man action figure. And it's Christmas Eve. And he was supposed to get one, and he forgot. So what does he do? He takes to the streets to find a Turbo Man doll. Will he find one? Well, you'll have to watch the movie to find out. And he butts heads along the way with a Not frankly insane man, played by Sinbad, who's a post office worker who seems legitimately dangerous, <laughs> who also wants a Turbo Man doll. Apparently for his kid, although this child does not feature... At all in the movie, except for a mention at the start of it. Do you think he has a child? That's... Uh, <laughs> I never actually thought about that. But now that you mention it, it is a, a bit of an open question given his conduct during the film. <laughs> he seems like a madman on the streets. Yeah, he does literally throttle people. He knocks people over. He assaults people. He has at least two bomb threats. <laughs> yes. So it seems a little questionable, but what did you think of this as a premise for a movie? Because, you know, Chris Columbus thought, hot diggity damn, this is going to be a big Christmas hit. Is it a good idea, and does it play out well? It's really not a bad idea at all, is it? Uh, if you're going to be focusing a little bit on the over-commercialization of Christmas, this movie was released right around the time that uh, Tickle Me Elmo was the hot toy of the season and no one right. could get them. Which was, I think, shortly after there was a White Power Ranger craze. Oh, was there? Yeah, you couldn't get a White Power Ranger. Okay. It was slightly before, I think, there was a Furby craze where no one could get a Furby. And then going back, there was the Cabbage Patch doll craze. That's right. And yeah. and so this movie, the idea to f focus a little bit on the commercialization of Christmas and maybe how the Christmas spirit can shine through despite that, you tie in 
superstar Arnold Schwarzenegger with a comedic supporting role of Sinbad along with Phil Hartman and romantic comedy lead Rita Wilson. Right. Uh, and it seems like it, you know, Christopher Columbus producing. Seems what could go wrong? Seems like there's magic in the air. <laughs> right. And well, there's such thing as dark magic as well. <laughs> Just watch Red Sonja for that. Speaking of speaking of which, a little tangent here. Yeah. When Sinbad first came on the screen, yeah. I thought to myself, this is probably the worst supporting character for Arnold Schwarzenegger since Ernie Reyes in Red Sonja. Ooh, interesting. And why do you say that? Because I was debating to myself, who was more shrill? Was yeah. it was it the boy king or the crazy mailman? Yeah, Sinbad is I mean, he's terrible in this, right? He's terrible. Like, I don't know of another actor I've seen in an Arnold movie where I just wanted them to be quiet. That's all I wanted. That's all I want for Christmas, people, is for Sinbad to shut up. Yeah, I guess... uh, I mean, at the time, Sinbad was a big name in comedy. Yes. I don't know why. (laughs) So maybe Bryant Levant, maybe he thought that if he gave Sinbad a little bit of a a free reign here he could carry a lot of the comedy in the film but it's it's clear that he could have done with, with a little bit better direction he carried the comedy right to the slaughterhouse <laughs> <laughs> and this was actually a noteworthy year because sinbad also put out a movie in 1996 called first kid he was like a um uh, secret service guy who was protecting the president's child i never saw that one i never did either and we're not doing it for this podcast i swear to god i think we should (laughs) but it made like less than half of what this movie did so sinbad's movie career was definitely short-lived i mean he's definitely go for broke in this movie you got to give him that i just don't understand this character like he doesn't seem like a human being whereas i think everyone else is trying to play it like they're somewhat realistic people somewhat a little bit they're grounded in a reality like, they have a motivation beyond just getting a doll. Yes. Yes. And like you said, it's not really clear. You kind of have to take Sinbad's word for it that he has a kid here. Which you can't. <laughs> Which you can't, because he's totally unreliable for everything else. Yes. And so, yeah, I mean, what did you think... He, look, Sinbad's first scene is brutal. That scene where he just starts ranting and raving about dolls while they're waiting outside a toy store. And then like, he strangles a woman in the crowd? Yeah. It's yeah. awful. It's awful. But... What did you think of the rivalry between him and Arnold going forward through the rest of the movie? Like, did it get better from there? What I did like about it was that it wasn't just Sinbad and Arnold on screen all the time. It was more about Arnold Schwarzenegger going through a bunch of misadventures and trying to get this doll. But Sinbad popping up once in a while as an antagonist. Yeah. Or in some way, also as a bit of a sympathetic antagonist as well. Is he? Well, I think it's about three or four times in this movie where they meet up and they call a truce and then some event happens where uh, there's another opportunity to get the doll or a ball that is somehow related to the doll and then all of a sudden the rivalry is back on. It's funny, my memory of this movie was that like him and Sinbad were just butting heads for 90 minutes straight. But I was actually surprised re-watching it that Sinbad actually disappears for quite a few chunks of the movie and Mm -hmm. he's not a consistent throughout like my memory was that like him and arnold were like attached at the hip throughout the entire movie which would have been brutal yeah that was my memory of it as well so it was it was actually nice especially given that opening scene to get a bit of a sinbad reprieve what did you think about the 
the other somewhat antagonist in the film being uh, Phil Hartman as uh, Schwarzenegger's smarmy, insipid neighbor, Ted Malton. I loved him. I think Phil Hartman is just like such a, an amazing treasure of a comedian. I've always loved seeing him pop up and stuff. His performances on The Simpsons are iconic and amazing. And so even when you give him material that's maybe not the best, he is just so smarmy and hammy in it that I just can't help but laugh. Like, he definitely was getting laughs out of me in this movie. Yeah, he he was definitely, I think, one of the strong points of this movie. Uh, and it, it does go to Phil Hartman's uh, talent, I think, that... He's not really established, or his lines don't really establish him as, uh, you know, a potential philanderer with uh, yeah. Howard Langston's wife until really close to the end of the movie. But as soon as he's on screen, even though he's very, very nice, yeah. he's just totally unlikable. Yes, totally. And I like that he's like the ladies' man of the of the neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, which is so like bizarre given how goofball his character is that it makes it weirdly hilarious just in its own little world yeah and he's just such a nice bad guy yeah yeah did you think it was odd though that rita wilson never really distanced herself from him like he seems so unlikable and vaguely creepy that she seems weirdly tolerant of him I guess so, although she does eventually smash his face in with some eggnog. Sure, eventually, but that's like at the like 80-minute mark. Well, she, eventually she got the point. <laughs> it took a while, though. It was good, though. I think if she had distanced himself so that there was less Phil Hartman in this movie early, it would it would have been a, a little bit of a lesser movie. Should this movie have been about Phil Hartman? Like, maybe a darker comedy, like an R-rated adult comedy about a weirdo <laughs> guy who, like, is just like Mr. Christmas in the neighborhood. I think that's a different movie. Cam. But is that a better movie? Is that a movie you'd rather watch? Like following that character, like kind of like a it, bad Santa, but it, like more of like the suburban dad. Type. I don't know. Is Arnold Schwarzenegger in it still? Uh, he can have a cameo. Uh, well, then I... he can fly by in a Turbo Man suit. I'll have to think about this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I thought Phil Harmon was just so much fun. Now, what did you think of the hijinks in this movie? Because this movie is ninety nine point nine percent hijinks. And so, like, let's just go through some of these scenarios, because this movie doesn't really have a plot so much. Um, it's just a series of set pieces of Arnold trying to get this toy. Were there any that stood out for you? What did you think of Arnold in these sequences? I thought some of them were better than others. Okay. Do we want to start with some good ones? Sure. I thought the, the bit with the reindeer was pretty funny. Yes. I am on board with this 100%. Uh, they, I mean, they ran the the gag a few times yes how uh phil hartman's character had hired a reindeer for christmas yeah and really embodied the christmas spirit but the reindeer for whatever reason hated arnold schwarzenegger and was really ill-tempered towards him and he's like vicious towards him yeah i mean yeah. having the reindeer try and bite arnold schwarzenegger and then charge at him at another point in the movie all interspersed, I thought really well, if there's a directorial high point in this movie, yeah. it's with tight close-ups of the reindeer's face. Yes. I don't know if it was a real reindeer. No, it was not. It was a puppet. <laughs> it was a... Come on. You're embarrassing yourself. <laughs> I've never been that close to a reindeer. It was a really good puppet. The, no, it wasn't. The puppet looked so funny. <laughs> you could see the hand operating the jaw. Anyways, I'm laughing about it now. Like I still, <laughs> Just thinking about it made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. I thought it was a very funny 
yeah, I thought it was a very funny puppet, and it was very funny what the reindeer did. It just it was, seemed to be there to cause mayhem, which is what you would kind of expect if you hired a, a reindeer and put it in a you know a suburban christmas scene. no that's true i actually think the phoniness of the puppet is what makes it funnier like i think if you have a real reindeer and then are like using really really realistic cg it's not funny but the fact that this thing looks kind of fake is yeah. what made me laugh that much harder like i thought that was what made it funny and the gags themselves were good too i really appreciate it even though it was a family film they had arnold schwarzenegger uh punching the reindeer out yeah and then shortly was that, was that a nod to conan <laughs> it might have been or was it just coincidence? Uh, who who knows? Who yeah. knows? It definitely I, I I definitely know what you're talking about, but then making amends with the reindeer shortly after by getting drunk with it, <laughs> I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. That was actually probably the highlight of the movie for me was that reindeer. Uh, I'm not even, I can't even say Arnold. Maybe it was just the reindeer. <laughs> and the the other thing is, I know that at the time and even now, one of the things that people really criticize this movie for is the substitution of slapstick violence for actual comedy. Right. I mean, this is a few years removed from Home Alone, which you remember after Home Alone came out, how many kids' movies had scenes of people getting hurt in slapstick yeah. ways. Like, you can see traces of it here, but it's not in huge overabundance. It's definitely got the Home Alone paintbrush on it and i'm sure yeah. chris columbus has something to do with that yeah like there's a sequence where like arnold runs a like remote controlled car underneath sinbad's foot and causes him to like flap in the air mm -hmm. and land on his back that feels very home alone but by and large i didn't like spend a lot of it being like oh this is just like you know those home alone knockoffs like richie rich or getting even with dad or things like that right so what other set pieces worked was that about the highlights for you i thought there was a few other scenes that I found pretty funny. I thought the uh, the whole concept and then the fight in the Santa warehouse. Okay. With all the criminal Santas. Yes. As much as I didn't want to like that scene. Right. I thought it was. I was. I found myself laughing despite myself watching. Uh, I think it was Vern Troyer. It was. Uh, getting knocked across the warehouse in a very slapsticky way by a, a giant shirtless santa yeah uh I, I thought that scene was quite funny just the i don't think i've seen that in a movie before is having a, a protagonist being attacked on all sides by uh santas? dozens and dozens of santas yeah no i don't think so i thought that sequence was all right um, I like the idea of it that it's this sort of this black market Santa warehouse. Like, I thought that was fun and the fact that it's, like, broken up by the police. To me, that's actually a pretty good gag. I don't know that it's exploited to its fullest potential, but I think it's a funny idea. Um, and, I mean, Vern Troyer, as you mentioned, has a scene where he gets punched and, like, flies across the entire room. <laughs> it's funny because this moment reminded me a lot of the stuff you would see him do as mini me like three years later right in the austin powers movies this was almost like a warm-up for those uh performances so yeah i thought he was funny in there and jim belushi well he's there um jim belushi definitely playing this kind of you know crooked mall santa i feel like the character is funnier than anything he says or does like in concept it's funnier yeah, I felt I actually wondered if maybe he was playing the same character that he was playing in Red Heat. You know, we talked in that episode where we really debated back and forth like 
is Jim Belushi being given bad material, or is he improving bad material? I don't know even after this movie, because this movie he's not very funny either, and I can't tell if it's just a Jim Belushi thing, or if he just does movies with not very good scripts. I don't know, and the weird thing about Jim Belushi is, though, even in this movie, I didn't find him that funny, but I didn't find him unfunny. No. You know, he he wasn't jarring in any way. He, If there were comedic low points in this movie, it wasn't him. It was more just kind of an absence of comedy. Or Sinbad. <laughs> well, he was almost in, in some ways a little bit of a, a little bit of a straight man in uh, in this film. He had a couple jokes, but um, yeah, it was more as, yeah, like you said, more his character than, any, than anything in particular. He said, yeah, because when you even you get to that moment in the warehouse, like Vern Troyer gets the biggest laugh of the scene. It's not uh, Jim Belushi, and his character, you know, gets punched out and whatever. But that's kind of about it. Like you don't get a lot out of that character. Mm-hmm. I think it would have been actually more fun to have him pop up later in the movie in some weird way. Mm-hmm. I think they could have done that. Maybe put him in the parade at the end or something. Yeah, maybe they only had him for a day. Wow. Really? He was that busy? I don't know. Just to maybe move on from Jim Belushi. Yeah. Some of the other stuff that I I thought was pretty funny was... Uh, I don't know what it is about uh, putting out fires in movies that people think that the best way to put out a fire is to swat it with a piece of fabric. Well, uh, no, first you have to get the flaming object and throw it on top of a carpet. That's right, or some other flammable thing, and then yeah. swatted it with uh, <laughs> with a, a stocking in this case. Uh, that scene I thought was uh, a little bit funny. And there was a few other scenes um, with just Schwarzenegger... I thought his mugging for the camera was kind of hit and miss. Yeah. But there was some scenes where he where he got really angry and say like punched out the big Turbo Man cardboard standee. Yeah. I, I found myself kind of drawn in by that. Okay. Okay. How about you? Um, I mean, I would say I kind of was amused by his just physical performance in the moments where he's running through the jungle gym, chasing that little kid who has a <laughs> yeah. ball, and that kid he just looks so smarmy. He just, oh, he looks unbearable. That's, I think, one of the good casting decisions of the movie is to cast a kid who looks like a kid who would annoy you if you met him in real life. Uh, he's actually really funny. But um, there's a store that's having a lottery for a Turbo Man doll, and their solution to this lottery is to throw really, really bouncy balls up in the air and then just, like, cause mass stampede and pandemonium. It was kind of a bizarre scene. It was an incredibly bizarre scene. And these balls are so bouncy that no one can get one. So this lottery feels like a complete failure right off the bat. Yeah, I I know what you mean. But Arnold ends up chasing the ball. You know, this kid picks it up and he chases this kid onto a jungle gym. And um, it's the type of thing that, like, when I'm watching the scene, it's fun to watch Arnold just kind of goof around. But I'm also aware of how stupid it is. Because you have, like, the moment where Arnold goes down, like, the kids slide into the ball pit. And he starts, like, a full scream. As if this is a terrifying slide. (laughs) When you know, in reality, when they shot that scene, that slide is shorter than Arnold Schwarzenegger's body. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it just feels really, like, cheap and very, like, sitcom-ish. A lot of the scenes in this movie, and, I mean, we've talked about, a little bit about uh, the... The stuff that we found funny. Yeah. I think a lot of the places where this movie fails is because of an overuse of kind of sitcom gags or a made-for-TV 
punchline almost. Well, did you find, you know, a lot of this movie is Arnold running to department stores and toy stores. That's most of this movie. Yeah, did you find toy store scenes funny? Or did most of the comedy come from these weird diversion moments like the reindeer stuff? I actually did find some of the toy store scenes funny. I thought that the toy store search musical montage was one of the weirdest scenes I've seen in a Schwarzenegger movie since maybe like Total Recall. You mean where it's like the neon signs flying over his head, kind of a montage? Yeah, and the faces of various store store uh, clerks laughing at him as he asks for uh, a Turbo Man on Christmas Eve. Yeah, and there's extra faces to be found in the extended cut of this movie, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually thought that was pretty entertaining. Uh, and I did kind of like, like I said, some of the more physical comedy in the toy stores, but but not all of it. I thought the stuff that Arnold did was entertaining, and the stuff that Sinbad did was maybe a little less so. There was actually a really interesting casting choice in this movie, which was Chris Parnell, who would go on to do Saturday Night Live, and he's in a ton of comedy movies. He plays a toy seller working in one of these, you know, kind of Walmartish type stores who Arnold tangles with, and. It's interesting to see what you know is a really, really strong comedic actor in a role at the beginning of their career, because you can see that he did not have it yet. Like, he would get it. Like, Chris Parnell is amazing in, like, movies like 21 Jump Street, but boy, it's he's just, like, mugging like crazy in this movie. You remember the scene I'm talking about where it's the two toy vendors mm-hmm. kind of taunting Arnold? Like, they are not good. I didn't think it was that bad. It's pretty obnoxious stuff. Uh, it was kind of... Maybe I have a lower bar for, like, really, really obnoxious mugging. Maybe. Like, it drives me insane <laughs> to watch it. I don't know how we get along, then. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I can't watch it for too, like, that sort of stuff for very long before it really annoys me. I'm not saying it should win the win the annual comedy awards or anything like that. I'm not sure what those awards are. The funnies? The funnies. <laughs> but uh, I didn't think the scene was long enough to be that irritating. Um, I think it, I think it overstays its welcome. <laughs> we'll we'll have to respectfully disagree, I guess. I found most of the store stuff actually kind of flat. I thought that was weird to me that this whole movie is designed around him running to stores, and I don't know, it didn't seem that inspired to me. It was like him running to a store and encountering obnoxious people, and uh, I don't so, know. So you were less about the stores and more about the. Uh, Santa Claus counterfeit toy rings. Yeah, the weird stuff. You know, the yeah. Spanish Turbo Man. Eh, maybe not that gag. <laughs> yeah, the toy that's the counterfeit. He gets sold for a lot of money. Um, I actually have a question for you though about practicality. Uh oh. If you're Arnold that's, Schwarzenegger, that's not my area of expertise. If you're Arnold Schwarzenegger, <laughs> you want this Turbo Man figure, right? There's one point in the movie. He goes to a store. They don't have any Turbo Man figures, but they've got a whole bunch of booster figures which is the sidekick of turbo man yeah if you're that father you can't find a turbo man anywhere do you still buy the booster as like your backup i was thinking that as well and i I think that i would yeah but it was pretty well established and it again it was i thought one of the funnier parts of the movie yeah was that everybody hates this booster character and thinks it's super lame why I don't know. It's a big pink dog, man. I don't know. It kind of reminded me of He-Man. Wasn't it supposed to be like the Battle Cat? Battle Cat was cool. Battle Cat was cool. The big pink booster dog <laughs> yeah. was not so cool. And he shows up later at, in the parade, played by uh, Curtis Armstrong. 
from Revenge of the Nerds fame, and uh, that was fun to see him kind of play that character and just be the kind of a loser. I really enjoyed that scene actually, where he fell off of the parade float. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, kids assault him, and all the kids assault him and say, "We hate you, Booster. You suck." <laughs> I thought that was quite funny. I couldn't figure out who he was supposed to be. Do you think he is supposed to be like Battle Cat? Because Turbo Man is very, very obviously modeled on the Power Rangers. Yeah. Uh, there's an opening sequence where they show the television show, and it is full-on Power Rangers. And the villain of the show, Demento, bears a bit of a resemblance to Rita Repulsa from Power Rangers. The villain sidekicks look like the Power Rangers themselves. I thought the opening scene, actually, the of the actual Turbo Man show yeah. was one of the best parts of the movie. Yeah, I could kind of agree with that. It was pretty entertaining. I thought it was a nice bit of satire. Should they have done some stunt casting, though, on the role of Turbo Man? I think that might have been more fun. What do you mean? Like, cast someone maybe recognizable in the role of Turbo Man. Yeah, no, that would have been good. I mean, um, actually, maybe this is a good segue. It would have been nice here to see maybe Sven Ole Thorsen mm. uh, as a, a character in the Turbo Man show. Since he did play a character in uh, Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. Of course. Uh, which was a short-lived, but... Glorious re- show. A really popular, very... Not, not that popular. <laughs> very bizarre, yeah. uh, ultra-violent children's show yes. in, in the 90s. Probably around this time. I think it was 80s, was it? the it? 80s? It might have been the 80s. Late 80s, early 90s, yeah. And it was, it was a, a show that's a little bit like what Turbo Man is designed to be satirizing, I think. Uh, where the show was there pretty much exclusively for the purposes of selling toys. Right. And I think actually that's why it was cancelled, was because the toy sales <laughs> weren't high enough to justify airing it further. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that we do on Arnie Geddon, we try and pop it in here, is we have a little Spot Sven episode. Uh, for those of you who don't know, if you're just joining us with Jingle All The Way... <laughs> <laughs> May God have mercy on your souls. Yeah, you're a Yuletide treat. Yeah. Uh, Sven Ole Thorsen is one of Arnold's uh, longtime and frequent collaborators. He usually plays uh, uh, heavy. You'll recognize him in a bunch of different roles from his movies. So, But he's not always featured prominently in this role. Right. Now, Cam, did you see him in this movie? I did not. We saw his name in... I didn't either. We saw his name in the cast. He's... Uh, Not the cast, the stunts Yeah, that's... Section. He's third from the bottom in the stunts, yeah. which leads me to believe that... And I, I... Any movie where we can't find him, I like to go back and try and uh, bit of, play a bit of Where's Waldo with him. Uh, I couldn't find any stills or any indication where he might be, so the only thing I can think is that maybe he was a a person in the parade crowd or maybe in the santa warehouse that's what i was thinking santa warehouse he's like one of the santas maybe in the background or something yeah he he's there he's listed but we couldn't spot him there's a moment where all these santas dogpile on arnold he could be one of those mm-hmm. that would make sense if you're a stuntman mm-hmm. and he has that big build so he looks intimidating that would be my guess but that's just total educated guess on my part so that's our little spot sven episode unsuccessful this time and we've talked a little bit about the comedy that we found that worked. Well. <laughs> well, we, we debatably. Yeah. But And we didn't always agree, Cam. Right. But one thing I'm sure that we can agree on is places that it didn't work at all. I want to hear your examples of this. I thought the the most prominent examples for me are, are the examples where they took, uh, where Brian Levant took the slapstick 
just a little too far and it made it a little bit too cartoonish where people were falling from great heights or uh, I thought most notably and it just it's the kind of scene that just almost gives me shudders to my comedic core like the bomb scene oh yeah yeah right yeah. where the the bomb goes off and uh the instead of the policeman who's holding it being pulped and we should say the police officer was played by robert conrad who's mm-hmm. a long-term veteran actor who was all right he, he was he, fine he's he just was, this cop that keeps crossing paths with arnold he was fine yeah. instead he's covered in soot and his hair is sticking up and smoke is coming off of his clothes the kind of classic a bomb has gone off yeah i found those scenes the rather than adding anything to the movie took away any kind of tension that the movie had because there was basically no chance of anyone ever getting actually right hurt or just no consequences that's right yeah yeah um that was a weird scene and like watching a comedy movie for children that features like bomb scares and bombs going off in buildings. Boy, the 90s was a much more innocent time. Because <laughs> you would not see that in a movie nowadays. Wouldn't you? I, I haven't really watched any no kids or family way. movies these days. You would not have a crazed uh, postman making multiple bomb threats. And then actually, like, inadvertently I suppose, but setting off a bomb in the midst of a group of police officers in a high rise. Well, when you put it like that, <laughs> it was crazy. Just, I thought that was absolutely nuts to see in a movie. I was like, wow, okay. Yeah, but from a comedy perspective, anyways, did you find... No, it wasn't funny at all. Yeah, it's the kind of thing you, you, you're watching and you kind of hope nobody comes into the room while that scene's on and then asks you a question about why you're watching this movie. It's not very funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like almost embarrassing to watch it. <laughs> it's like the villain. <laughs> yeah. Actually, it is very much like the villain, isn't it? Yeah. The villain, uh, that's a capital V villain. We're talking about the Arnold Sch- early Arnold Schwarzenegger Western film. Also known as Cactus Jack. Yeah. By all means, go back and download the movie if you can find it. And certainly download our podcast. It's probably easier to find. Yeah. I think a lot easier. <laughs> and shorter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... So, yeah, I agree the bomb stuff didn't work. Was there any other examples before we get to the big end one? Well, before we get to the big end one, uh, I think you already touched on it. Some of the mall scenes were weak. I thought it was interspersed with some effective physical comedy. And then also, um, I find falling gags generally, unless there's some impact to them, yeah. to be not, not particularly funny. And then a lot of... Um, uh, I still don't really know how I feel about it. It was either a stroke of comedic genius or a stroke of um, horror genius or a total failure on all fronts is when Sinbad and Schwarzenegger are sharing a drink in the cafe and, right. and Sinbad is telling him about how when he was a kid, his father didn't bring home the Johnny Oma doll. Right. And then since that time, he's been a loser. And then Sinbad morphs into Schwarzenegger's son yes still drinking uh <laughs> booze booze out of a bottle I, I thought it was funny at the time but I was also a little bit unnerved by it I thought it was kind of amazing <laughs> and we should say Arnold Schwarzenegger's son in the movie is played by uh Jake Lloyd who uh you know was uh, Anakin in Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace and his acting prowess in this movie is about on par with The Phantom Menace 
Yeah, I was actually I was going to mention that because I I thought it was funny. I just want to just skip to the end for a sec on Jake Lloyd. Yeah. Um, Jake Lloyd is he's kind of notoriously after playing Anakin was hassled uh, quite a bit. You yeah. Know, he played Anakin, went to school. I think was bullied and and harassed a lot as a result of it. Yeah. Um, I thought it was interesting in this movie that he he talks about how if he doesn't get a Turbo Man doll for Christmas. He's going to get bullied and harassed. Everyone's going to hate him. He's going to be a loser. Right. And then at the end of this movie, he takes the Turbo Man doll and gives it away. Yes. Um, and then... <laughs> well, his dad's Turbo Man, so, you know. I guess so. Yeah. But, um, and I kind of... I, I was kind of thinking, you know, maybe if uh, if Jake Lloyd's character had hung on to that Turbo Man doll, maybe things would have gone better for Jake Lloyd in real life. Maybe... <laughs> maybe i will say about jake lloyd like he's not very good in this movie and he's not good in the phantom menace either however i tend to put that more on the director in these cases yeah. because they say with kid performances the best ones come from directors who know how to direct children and i don't know that this kid was getting the guidance maybe he needed because we know george lucas is not good at coaching children he's very reserved director he doesn't give any input almost whatsoever and it, that's pretty well known. And I don't know if Brian Levant, just evidenced by what I'm seeing in Jingle All the Way, was really guiding this kid towards a great performance. As a general rule, and unless this is The Sixth Sense or something like that, right? Uh, kids in movies are almost invariably just not very good. Right. And it's almost always impossible to put it on the kid themselves because they're just a kid. Yeah. Right. They're not the ones making the movie. Yeah. Um, you know, so Jake Lloyd, I don't know how old he was in this. It's certainly not, uh, I mean, he could have been worse, but it def definitely his performance left a lot to be desired. But that's not on him. That's no. on, that's on the, on the director who, who really should have been doing a better job of knowing what he wanted out of this kid. Yeah, I know. I agree 100%. Um, before we get to the end, I wanted to touch on one other sequence that didn't work for me. And that's a scene in the radio station where there is apparently a contest where, Arnold Schwarzenegger races to the radio station to name off all the reindeers. And we, it's Martin Mull plays the DJ <laughs> and gives him a gift certificate, which I guess waka waka waka. I don't know why the radio would be doing this uh, contest where people have to charge down to the radio station. <laughs> that seems very questionable. And the fact that no one else showed up is also questionable in a city heightened by paranoia over finding Turbo Man dolls that no one would be racing down to that station. But whatever the case... Uh, this scene goes nowhere funny with like um, with uh, Sinbad showing up and making another bomb threat. And you're like, okay. <laughs> yeah, the first bomb threat wasn't that funny, and the second bomb threat was the you know it was negative funny. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. So let's get to the end. The big showcase for this movie, the Wintertainment Parade. I, I feel like this is the material that got Arnold on board. Or the reason you cast Arnold, I should say. That's that's right. So the there's the Wintertainment Parade, which uh, I guess is the traditional Christmas holiday parade in whatever city they're supposed to be in. Langley. Langley. <laughs> and uh, by, uh, by, I guess, circumstance and... Some level of design, I suppose. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger winds up on the Turbo Man float. Holy design. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the Turbo Man costume. Yeah. Handing out uh, 
this special edition Turbo Man doll to one lucky kid. And I like that it's one lucky kid who just happens to be where the parade float stops. <laughs> it feels very arbitrary because we see in the movie, uh, Rita Wilson shows up with Arnold's son mid parade. Like they haven't, they couldn't even be bothered showing up on time for this parade. They come charging in as these floats are already heading down past them. And fortunately for them, Arnold Schwarzenegger's float comes by and stops right directly beside them. Boy, if that's not fate, I don't know what is. Well, maybe it wasn't a very big parade. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Although there was a lot of vinyl wearing trombone playing Santas in it. And you had a lot of, like, uh, I would say major company advertising going on in this parade. You had characters, like you had Leonardo from the Ninja Turtles, you had Sonic the Hedgehog, there you had a, a Crayola crayon box. There was the cat in the hat, there was a Cabbage Patch Kid. Yeah. Which I thought all of that was so bizarre, given that up to that point, I thought that the somewhat tacked-on theme, moral, whatever you want to call it, this movie, was that uh, commercialization of Christmas was a problem and we could put our hearts together and you know gather around the yule tree and learn to love again that kind of thing yeah and then they go to this big final set piece and the the movie just kind of gives itself over to you know intellectual property rental and uh advertisement for other products pretty much yeah a lot of which are associated with 20th century fox i mean after this movie gumby merchandise went through the roof <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was really funny you mentioned cat in the hat the cat in the hat comes out and there's a you know full-on showcase shot of the cat in the hat and it cuts to the two kids going cat in the hat and high-fiving <laughs> like they were really excited to see cat in the hat Arnold should have just skipped Turbo Man and gone to the bookstore and gotten his kid Cat in the Hat. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Would have been a lot easier. <laughs> Would have been a shorter movie. <laughs> Chapters. <laughs> but this this scene, this um, parade scene... I yeah. Mean, uh, ultimately, the purpose of it is to have the final big chase where... Sinbad, through his own <laughs> mischievous design, has... Why did he do this? I don't know. But he takes over... What was the What was the main bag? De Demento. Yeah, Dr... Was it just, I think it was just Demento. It's an, okay, not Dr. Demento. Not, so. not the radio DJ. Not the radio DJ. Yeah, so he takes over his costume and uh, goes down to try and take the special edition Turbo Man doll from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. And then what? Uh, the really bizarre scene happens where it turns out this turbo man suit is actually set up like a real turbo man suit it's not yeah. just a parade float costume and turns out what's in there is um fairly lethal looking shooting discs a, <laughs> um a turbo barang or whatever he called it a, yep. a boomerang turbo man thing and most notably uh, <laughs> a jetpack yes which, at this point in the movie, the movie, like I said, there was, I think, a, f a few points where it went over the top with its slapstick. Yes. Um, in terms of the falling gags and the exploding gags. But this is the part of the movie where we've watched maybe 70 minutes of more or less straight comedy, with some physical comedy. And then, and then there's, there's a big Rocketeer jetpack scene that is really out of place in the movie, I thought. It's brutal like it's really badly done like in terms of direction it's terrible it looks beyond fake 
it reminded me a lot of actually of do you remember the scene in the uh, masters of the universe movie with Dolph Lundgren <laughs> where they're on the flying discs yeah it's like that but worse <laughs> and that was bad yeah <laughs> it's long extended sequences like that's the thing if you, you'd kept them really short between these kind of far away shots to close-ups of Arnold's face you might be able to not convince anyone that this is happening but you'd be able to get by with minimal embarrassment but they have long long protracted sequences of Arnold flying around the city doing wacky things like getting caught in I think a flag or something like that and like spinning around and in a flag and in his helmet caught in a brick wall yeah where he keeps bouncing off the wall over and over spinning around in circles as he tries to gain control of the jetpack and yeah it's really quite bizarre it's not funny i didn't think i curled up inside myself and died i feel like <laughs> during this moment it was really bad it and was it's, uncomfortably bad and it's really protracted and it's a shame because i feel like it's the part of the movie where they threw the most money at oh yeah i agree and it's but it's definitely the weakest part of the movie yeah and you have this whole thing set up purely so you can have arnold fly up so he can save his son after his son is i don't know hanging over a huge distance, basically seconds away from falling to his death, thanks to Sinbad. Again, what kind of guy is this? Yeah, meanwhile, uh, Jake Lloyd's mother, played by Rita Wilson, she doesn't seem particularly concerned. Yeah, they seem confused as to whether it's part of the show or not. You know, you'd think you'd be like, huh, I don't recall my son going to a lot of rehearsals for this very expensive, elaborate show. <laughs> yeah no it was it was strange it made me actually think while i was watching it do you and do you think that this movie would have been any lesser of a movie if they had basically had the same plot where schwarzenegger's in the turbo man suit and sinbad's dressed as demento and they're fighting over the doll and chasing the kid around but without the wacky jetpack stuff well, you got to get rid of the jetpack. Right there, you got to. You got to. I think it would have been better to just have a more heartfelt moment where Arnold does dress up as Turbo Man and, I don't know, surprise his son. Now, look, that's not the ending. I'm sure that a studio exec is going to be like, awesome. Yeah, that's going to rake in the dollars. But I feel like that's at least a sweeter message than the idiocy going on in this extended sequence. Like, it's really bad. It's, it is really bad and... It's also in a movie, again, that I, I at least I think the theme is that Christmas has been over-commercialized. When you take all of your main characters and make them absolutely obsessed with uh, a doll from a television show. And, yeah. you, and then you make your set piece in a uh, commercial parade. It, it's really hard to get behind that when what you've been told for the first 70 minutes of the movie is... That all of this is bad. It makes it, it made me kind of think these characters aren't very. Are, they're not really playing along with the theme of this movie. Not only that, but the kid doesn't even you know gain respect for his dad until his dad dresses up like the toy he wants. Yeah, and then has to like exhibit action figure powers. And and the only way that Sinbad can get respect from his son if he exists. I don't think he does. <laughs> is to bring home this toy. Doesn't Sinbad remind you of a guy who would just be like stocking toys for his own collection? A little bit, yeah. yeah. I just want to, one last thing about Sinbad, I guess, in this movie. 
uh, or not Sinbad specifically, but his character, Myron Larrabee, uh, the mailman. Have you ever seen a movie where there's a normal mailman? Like, most of the mail carriers I know yeah. personally, like people who have delivered mail to my house over the years, yeah. uh, or who I've, you know, worked with and maybe they were mail carriers at some time, they seem like fairly normal, well-adjusted people. Uh, yeah, but... I think it was, was it the 90s where there was that whole incident in the States, I think, where, like, a post office worker, like, shot up his office or something? Well, I mean... And that led to this stereotype that you would see in these movies where they would constantly reference that post office workers were, like, unhinged. That became, like, a running joke you see it on Seinfeld. It was, like, this one real-world incident somehow spawned this whole stereotype that showed up in endless comedies for, like, a decade. And they're always very negligent. They're, like, in this movie... Sinbad's always just like throwing the letters away and losing mail all over the place yeah. at Christmas time, no less. Yes. Yeah. I mean, he can't be a very good post office worker. And I, I like so. that they somehow equate being a loser with being a post office worker. Yeah. <laughs> I'm uh, like, hey, that's a union job. Yeah, it pays maybe, pretty well. Maybe things are different down in the States. Uh, up here in Canada, yeah, postal workers, a, yeah. a normal job that normal people have and raise their families on (laughs) people don't disrespect someone for being a mail carrier you and i wish we were post office workers (laughs) that'd be cool man we aspire to that yeah but no it is funny how this movie is very much still existing in that 90s you know mindset i mean it was shot in the 90s of course but that that mindset of like that post office workers are unhinged and losers which I think has faded with time. I don't think that's still the I case. Ho- I hope so. I know. We need a movie where the post office is like the hero of the movie. Yeah, the you know, the, the postman only has to ring once. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But what did you think of Sinbad's final moment in this movie? Dressed as this cartoonish supervillain. Like, was any of this effective to you? Or was it just like stretching so far beyond... The limits of what you could believe that it was just insane. I thought it was pretty unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, there was one point where he crashed into a guy dressed like a giant Christmas present and said, Get out of the way, box. Uh, <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. I don't know why it made me laugh. But besides yeah. that, this whole scene was a total write-off. Now, say you're Arnold Schwarzenegger in this situation. As I am. You've gone through all this sort of stuff. And you've saved your son from this lunatic who's, you know, trying to steal toys from him. Yes. And how would you feel if your son then turned around and gave said toy to him after all of these violent acts he's committed? I don't know how else he would have ended this movie. Yeah. Uh, Sinbad wasn't a totally unsympathetic character, or he didn't play a totally unsympathetic character in this movie. So it was good that of Arnold and Sinbad that, I think he kind of needed it, that Arnold was ultimately successful in getting the toy, but that his son realized the true meaning of Christmas. Blah, blah, blah. Here you go, Sinbad. Off to jail with you. Would it have worked better if Sinbad's kid had been there? And he hands it to the kid. I think that they should have had... (laughs) They should have given us some indication that this kid was real. Yeah. Right? It would have been nice to have seen even a 20-second clip of Sinbad's home life um sure you know a kid with you know fingerless gloves or warming his hand over an oil drum or something like that i don't know it's like take me back (laughs) yeah playing the harmonica uh something i mean 
I don't know if it really matters who this kid gives the doll to. <laughs> you know, he's like, here's the doll, whatever, I'm off to a pod race. Right. Now, you and I both cringed at the end where he gives the doll away and he says, I don't need the doll. I've got the real thing at home. And it was like, oh, God. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty cheesy line. It's not like Arnold's going to be wearing this outfit at home. <laughs> <laughs> we never know. Yeah. But... Cut to this kid at school getting bullied, saying, No, no, my dad is Turbo Man. My dad is Turbo Man. <laughs> Speaking of the Turbo Man doll, uh, you may not know it, but they did actually release yeah. a Turbo Man doll as a tie into this film. The This film was apparently produced uh, very quickly, so there wasn't enough time to actually do a full, like the full. Um, scale up merch production that they normally do for this kind of a film right but they did have a limited run of 200,000 turbo man dolls and before we watch this film cameron yeah i want you to know that i'm thinking of you okay because uh i actually i went on ebay <laughs> to try and track one of these down and present to you oh boy in the spirit of christmas yeah um unfortunately <laughs> every turbo man doll that i could find was in excess of twelve hundred dollars <laughs> So, <laughs> I had no idea the Jingle All the Way collector's market was <laughs> as robust as it is. But um, uh, just know that the thought was there. Well, thank you very much. Um, I was curious. Was there ever a point in your young life where there was like an action figure you were desperate for at Christmas? I think that there was. I think uh, I was quite young um, at the time. But when Transformers okay. were a real sensation, yep. I remember I wanted an Optimus Prime Transformer so badly. And did you get it? No, they were sold out. <laughs> <laughs> now. My, my, my mother, bless her heart, she went to the store and asked for an Optimus Prime doll. And she got me some other lame Transformer. Right. Right? With the best of intentions. And this is why you don't just go with Booster. Yeah, yeah. I remember true. I opened it up, I saw the lettering on the box. Transformer! And I was like, oh my god, Santa has got my letter. The elves have made me an Optimus Prime doll. And it was the one that turns into a tape cassette? <laughs> no, actually, you know, it was a pretty cool one. It was like one that uh turned into a a base of some kind. It was like Mega Miss Prime or Mega A base? As in like a rock and roll base? <laughs> no. <laughs> I can't remember the Transformers name, but he was he was pretty cool. He had like a he was white and he turned into a like a Transformers base and came with a little Transformer car. Oh, I know um, what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah anyway, yeah. so it wasn't a total bust, but it was no Optimus Prime because Optimus Prime was like the the big semi truck with the lab in the back, yeah, and it was just—it was the coolest. It was the toy to have that year. Yeah, I don't remember if that ever happened with me. I remember birthdays where I wanted action figures, and the thing is, my birthday is actually really close to Christmas, so maybe I just got the ones I wanted for my birthday, and then Christmas I would get maybe something else. Socks, yeah, socks. <laughs> but like, I, re I remember really wanting the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man figure for my birthday, and I did get it. But had my dad just shown up dressed as Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, <laughs> I would not have been amused. <laughs> I would not have been like, I don't need that one anymore. I've got this. <laughs> Knowing your dad, I would have been amused. <laughs> oh, that would have been so outside the norm. That would have been mind-blowing. But, you know, what could have been? Um... <laughs> 
what did you think of Arnold in this? This was Arnold doing comedy way more hijinksy than anything we've covered on the podcast so far. I don't think so. You way, don't think so? Way more than ca- uh, Cactus Jack. Oh, that isn't... Well, you know what? He is a bit of a straight man in that, though. I guess that's true, yeah. It's more that Kirk Douglas does the really wacky stuff. Yeah, that's absolutely true. So what did you think of Arnold doing this sorts of gags? I, I thought he was surprisingly effective in some parts and a total dud in others. And I think... <laughs> I mean, Arnold's got less excuse than Jake Lloyd. Right. But I think that's got to be... In part, the director. I imagine something like this has got to be shot kind of out of sequence. There's a lot of really tight shots where that are reactions yeah. to things. Uh, and I, I, I got to think that... Because he's normally pretty good in movies uh, at re- reaction shots. I actually don't think he gets enough credit for it. Um, he was kind of retreading uh, a lot of his kindergarten cop stuff, I thought. But on the whole, I thought he he wasn't bad. He was he was pretty good, and I thought very good actually in a lot of the closer in stuff. And it was maybe when it panned out a little bit that um, you got less of a sense that he really knew what was going on. Yeah. What did you think? I felt like Arnold was kind of out of his depth with this movie, and that like, I mean, Arnold's not like a, a a wacky physical comedian, so I feel like he was investing everything he had into trying to pull all these gags off and look, you know, that kind of high-energy comedic performance that, like, a Jim Carrey would give sort of thing. Right. And I just don't know if he was up to it. And I think there was a bit of a problem in that he's shown early in the movie as this workaholic, really slick-talking mattress salesman. And I don't know if I ever buy Arnold as, like, a slick-talking mattress salesman. That feels like a very <laughs> mundane, <laughs> mediocre job for someone like Arnold. Although they looked like they had, like, the... Best Christmas party yeah, what was I've that ever been about? to. There was a conga line going through the office. And there was a lot of people. Yeah. Like, well, how big is this mattress warehouse? I don't know, man. But the, you know, obviously he's like the mattress king, I guess. But yeah, I feel like that type of performance, you want someone who has a little bit of a slightly sleazier kind of look. Like, you know, kind of a salesman type. And Arnold just doesn't have that. He feels very sincere. And so to see him trying to play kind of like a bit of a you know scallywag or something like that i don't know that i bought it yeah where he's you mean where he's on the phone and he's telling every customer that you're my number one customer yeah yeah like i don't buy the smarminess of him so much he feels a little too earnest but i think like yeah it's like you said it's hit or miss like some of the physical comedy stuff like the reindeer which we mentioned and moments like that like it feels like he gets it like it's arnold could do this stuff i think at this point at his career far better than he could have earlier Like, Mm -hmm. had you given him this performance instead of Twins in 1988, I think it could have been really ugly. Although it it is interesting, though, that in this movie that's got a lot of uh, comedic heavy hitters. Yeah, like Phil Morris even has a cameo in the parade. He was like uh, the Johnny Cochran-like lawyer on Seinfeld. Yeah, so you've got him and then, I mean, obviously Sinbad, Phil Hartman, we already mentioned Chris Parnell, Jim Belushi... And with all these um, heavyweights on the on the comedy scene, except for maybe Phil Hartman, I think that Arnold Schwarzenegger is funnier than than most of them. Yeah, like seeing Arnold Schwarzenegger be funnier in a scene than Chris Parnell. I mean, you got to give Arnie some credit for that. Yeah, or for that matter, I, I mean, way funnier I thought than Sinbad in this movie. Oh my God, yes. No, I agree, hundred percent. Now we did our due diligence, folks. 
there is an extended cut of Jingle All the Way. We watched and reviewed the theatrical cut. However, I also tracked down a copy of the Family Fun Edition. And so I sat down to kind of investigate this thing because it lists its runtime as two hours and two minutes on the back of the DVD case. <laughs> and how long is the uh, original cut? Uh, 88 minutes. <laughs> so we so were, we... I was fascinated how this movie could be over half an hour longer in an extended cut. I, I was mean, looking forward to it. My God, I could not imagine. So I sat but, down. And it turns out like so much to do with this movie. It's all lies. <laughs> and it's dishonest. Yeah. Um, so it turns out the movie is actually one hour and 29 minutes in the extended Family Fun Edition, which is only about a minute longer than the theatrical cut. So very dishonest. It is, and I'm going to take this out of the jingle all the way um, sphere for just a moment. Okay. Because I've noticed this before. We've talked about some other theatrical cuts and director's cuts that we've done on previous podcasts. But just in general, it really bugs me when you buy a, a DVD or you rent a movie or, or what, however you're getting your media these days, and it's called the director's cut or the extended edition or in this case the what is it a family fun edition yeah and there's like an extra 50 seconds of totally inconsequential footage yeah because there's some alternate shots and you know song choices little bits like that just little moments the only real substance i suppose comes from there's a cameo by yardley smith from the simpsons who shows up as a woman with a doll that Arnold purchases, and it turns out to be Booster. Um, I don't know. Did that sequence work for you? I thought it was pretty inconsequential. It was fine. There is a musical scene with uh, Jim Belushi. Yeah, leading a song called The Little Boy That Santa Claus Forgot. You can kind of see why they cut that. Yeah. It kind of and... goes on and on, and it doesn't have a big, like, funny punchline. It just kind of ends. <laughs> and the other, the other thing that they changed that was notable at all was... At the, at the very end of the movie, in the original, there's a post credit scene where... That no one would have ever seen. <laughs> yeah, I guess this was before the days of post credit scenes, eh? I mean, you see the odd one in, like, Ferris Bueller or Masters of the Universe. I was going to say, Masters of the Universe yeah. is a good throwback. <laughs> I'm still waiting for that sequel. But no one was sitting through the credits for Jingle All the Way. And in this in this post credit scene... Uh, Rita Wilson, who's playing um, Arnold Schwarzenegger's wife, Liz Langston, she says, oh, you know, you, I can tell that you really love your son because of all the trouble you went through to get this Christmas present, and now I can't wait to see what you got me. And then close zoom in to Schwarzenegger's face. He looks panicked and... Uh, fade to black. Fade, fade to black. And so uh, I guess trying to set it up for a sequel of some kind, which I guess sure. happened. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> sort of. But they uh, they moved that scene from post-credits to bizarrely mid-credits. Yeah, it's like after like only maybe like 15 seconds of credits or something. <laughs> and then what I thought was pretty indicative of the total indifference that they put this edition together with. Yeah. Um, I, I just imagine the the Chinese factory that is assembling the, the family fun edition, the family fun edition, like three years after jingle all the way has been released. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, the exact same scene was then played again at the end of the credits. At the end of the credits. So you get the same teaser 
twice was truly a nod to <laughs> absolutely the funny thing is is we may have been the only people in the world to ever have seen both of those scenes because i don't think anyone's run it all the way to the end twice no it was really weird even a mid-credit scene in this movie is a bit of a stretch yeah yeah <laughs> if we hadn't been looking for sven yeah so all in all jingle all the way what does this movie mean to you for arnold's filmography like Coming in 1996, we talked about Eraser, how Eraser felt like kind of the the good times were kind of coming to an end. Does this feel like Arnold's now accepting kind of lesser material? Does he feel a little lost? Or is this a movie you go, nope, this was fun. Arnold was fun in it. Well, I do think this movie was fun. I think it obviously had some problems, but it is in this kind of weird middle period Schwarzenegger where... I think there were maybe some bad choices, maybe a bit of bad luck. Yeah. And there's still some successes. We, I mean, we talked about Eraser recently, which is not a bad movie, but not one of his most highly regarded. It's kind of in the same period that Last Action Hero, which is another movie I, I quite like, but uh, just panned and a big box office bomb for him. Yeah. Along with junior which isn't very well liked batman and robin which isn't very well liked six day end of days which are kind of forgotten yeah so it's kind of in this period of a where the 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 good times of the 80s and early 90s have kind of starting to wind down for arnold yeah it definitely feels like the type of movie he would not have made earlier in his career when things were really going great like, it does feel very much like that kind of desperate bid to get kids. It's, it's almost like his audience that he'd had for so long is kind of fading away, so he's trying to appeal more to kids now to kind of renew that sort of interest in him as a performer. I don't know that it was a success in that regard. I don't know that a lot of kids really fell in love with Arnold because of Jingle All the Way. But you can understand why he did it, although he was only actually available to do this movie after there was delays in the Planet of the Apes reboot he was going to star in, Mm -hmm. which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Which would have been awesome. Yeah, which would have been great. But, um, yeah, like, I don't know. It's kind of a curiosity to me. It's more interesting than, say, a movie like Collateral Damage, which we haven't reviewed yet, but I'm definitely curious to revisit. But, uh, you know, that's a movie that just doesn't offer as much to me of interest, whereas this one is just weird, and Arnold never really tried this sort of thing again, yet. (laughs) Well, that's a good point. Is this Arnold's only kids movie? Well, I mean, he has the cameo in Around the World in 80 Days. That's um, true. Which is a Disney movie, Disney joint. He also has that Journey to China 3D movie, which has a very confusing release date. You know, I may have been out last year, maybe out 10 years from now. Uh, <laughs> who knows? The only trailer we could find was in Russian. Yeah. So he does do, I think, kid-oriented movies now more so. But yeah, he didn't used to have to do these sorts of things. And I don't know. I can understand why he did this movie. But I just wonder, like, why did he... Arnold's so good about picking collaborators. This was not the collaborator to go with, Brian Levant. I know the Flintstones had made money, but it was not a well-made movie. And this movie, I should say, was written by Randy Cornfield, who had done, like, nothing. He'd written a couple, like, kind of steamy, erotic thriller TV movies. 
And he'd done a 1987 completely forgotten movie called Sweet Revenge starring Nancy Allen and Ted Shackleton. That's it. And then he wrote this. I, Pick I, your material a little better. I gotta believe that it was Chris Columbus that I think that so. dragged him into this. Because I think Chris Columbus was attached to Planet of the he Apes. He was, well, yeah. yeah. So I have to believe that's the only reason he did it was Chris Columbus had directed Home Alone. Why would you not do a Chris Columbus movie? Well, this is kind of why. Yeah, it's actually a shame that Chris Columbus didn't direct this movie because that would have been, I think, really interesting to see how it would have been done differently. I don't know that it would have been good, but it would have been far better directed. Yeah, exactly. I think Chris Columbus just has a better understanding as to how to shoot slapstick comedy. You know, you just watch Home Alone. Mm-hmm. He knows what he's doing. But, yes, it is. Jingle all the way. It's out there, folks. So, spend, you know, your every Christmas with this movie if you really aren't that interested in the people you're hanging out with. <laughs> well, the other question I had for you, because I was thinking about this while I was watching this, is at one point in this film, Arnold turns to a... Uh, a, a drawing of his family, presumably by his son, although I guess it could have been done by his wife as well. Sure. And it, it turns back and there's these kind of forced tears in his eyes. Oh, and, yeah. and it got me thinking, because I think when we watched uh, Maggie, which uh, was Arnold Schwarzenegger's zombie yep. daughter film, and we, re- we reviewed that one very early on in this podcast one of our most fun episodes <laughs> yeah it's, it's up there with uh our forthcoming aftermath episode yeah. as uh, you know a, a real humdinger yeah um very joyous material to work with except for maggie is this the only movie that arnold schwarzenegger has cried in that i remember yes but i don't want to stand by that you know he might he might cry in junior I'm willing to bet he does cry in Junior. That's a good it's, point. It's probably over-the-top crying. Uh, yeah, I haven't seen Junior in a long time, yeah. so uh, that's a good point. Yeah, I think definitely that one. So, But we haven't touched on that movie yet, so that's coming down the road. So that'll be interesting, <laughs> I guess. Um, okay, so Tony, as we head into the new year, what's next? I think the best way to start off the new year is with a Terminator movie. Oh, okay. So we've done Terminator, we've done Judgment Day... And we're going to kick off 2019 with Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. A movie I'm very excited to revisit. Uh, me too. It, it's it's one that uh, I've dredged up a few times over the years, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again. Awesome. So you folks out there listening, make sure that you uh, use your Christmas break, your holiday season, to relax, kick your feet up, wear some ugly sweaters, and watch Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Definitely, definitely. And if you got a little bit of extra time... Jump on over to any of the podcasting software you frequent and leave a review for us. That would be the ultimate Christmas gift of all. Yeah, five million stars is best of all. I don't care about a turbo, man. I just want a review. <laughs> yeah, round up. <laughs> That's our advice. <laughs> Helps us get the message out there. Definitely, definitely. So if you enjoyed listening to this episode, you can contact us at arnigainpod at gmail.com with any questions or comments or advice or... Anything you really want. Especially advice. Especially life advice. Fashion advice. We need life advice Hygiene very badly. Advice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can, of course, also find us at Pod on Twitter. I'm at Cam. V is in Vicious Reindeer Smith. You can also find us on our website if you want to download direct from the source. That's ArnieGeddon.com. You can find me, Tony G. That's Tony, like the name, G, like the letter, at ArnieGeddon.com. Okay, so we'll be back in 2019 with Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines. Run, run, run!